HVAC 360 is brought to you today by the Construction Channel. That's right, it's time once again for those mid-season improvements to our lineup. First, meet the plungers. They're a family of plumbers who always stink, I mean stick, together. Then, on Can We Build It Thursdays, we have the Sheet Metal Shop, where we mix hardcore music and fabrication how-tos that will delight the whole family. And for the active crowd, we have brought back the classic obstacle course, HVAC Ninja Warrior, where crawl spaces, attics, and acts of contortion are just the status quo. Set your TiVos today so you don't miss a minute. Welcome back, Matt Nelson here, your host for HVAC 360, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. Each week I'm either sharing information, lessons learned, or talking with industry experts, but I don't stop there as usual. Uh, I want to encourage you to go down and double double down on your weekly helping of HVAC knowledge by jumping on over to HVAC360.com and join my growing community of people just like you. All right, so what do we have this week? This week, I was going to do another seminar summary, and, you know, I watched the whole seminar. I made some notes to kind of relay to you, and then I looked down and I go, you know what, it's not much of a seminar summary. Um, you know, the, the people that put on the seminar, <laughs> they really deserved more than my notes really contained. I mean, it was really kind of detailed, um, but... I wanted to give you something of kind of what I took away and kind of, you know, this is something uh, when we're talking about um, this topic and the, and the session was HVAC for tall and super tall buildings in hot and humid climates. So basically when, you know, they talked about and they went through different scenarios. Um, normally I kind of avoid as a, as a you know, a general theme, uh, you know, tall and super tall buildings because it doesn't really apply to most everybody uh not everybody gets to uh, you know work on buildings like this nor nor should they i mean this is not something that you're like hey you know what i want to volunteer to work on a tall super tall you know building um if you don't have the expertise and the more that i watch the seminar i go you know there's a lot that goes into these tall you know these tall buildings um and you know that really just um you know so that, that's why i want to back it off so this is going to be some of my thoughts and my takeaways just generally speaking on some of the insights that i got from the seminar but it's not necessarily a summary because that again that doesn't that doesn't do it justice so i mean the first thing they started talking about and of course you know when you start off in a design the first thing you're going to go for is you're going to go for the load calculation but that load co calculation is really dependent on uh, accurate climate da climate data. Uh, so, and usually, you know, most of the programs that we use out there as engineers um, are, you know, they're preloaded with this bin data. Um, now, it's important that they made a differentiation between weather data and climate data. They said weather data is kind of the snapshot. That's what's happening today. You know, those are the temperatures and things like that. Um, climate data is more of an aggregated historical weather trend that lasts decades. Um, so you really want something that is, you know, pretty much pretty, pretty rock solid. I mean, these are, these are going to be expensive to, you know, to work on, to build. 
Uh, so they really want good climate data. Now, there is a lot of sources for this climate data. And the more that he talked about, you know, you know, different, you know, you get, um, you know, different sources from airports, from just, you know, airplanes, just everywhere. Um, you know, the um, national, what was it, NOAA? There's a lot of different places that you can get this, this climate data. Um, and it really is an art form. But I guess the, the, the importance to know, um, at least for probably the vast majority of us that don't work on tall buildings, is that you know just going into the load calculation and picking a location um, doesn't always work. And you have to be aware of that. Um, for example, uh, they, they gave a, a great example of a city uh, in Taiwan where they were building an airport. Now, the airport was located on the other side of a mountain. Um, and the weather data was completely different. So if you selected that city and applied it to that airport, it would have nothing to do with reality. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the same things uh, are true for coastal regions. If you live near an ocean, um, you know, probably even a, a large body of water, but a, near an ocean, um, and that includes, you know, any sort of inlets or whatever, you know, as little as, you know, 60 miles or so can make a dramatic difference. I mean, that's, you know, it's an hour's drive, but when you're using these load calculations, it's not like you have, you know, every specific point in the United States, you know, or wherever you're living. It, it's not like you have that kind of resource where you could pick the exact spot where your building is going. But when, when you're building these super tall buildings, that's the kind of data that you need. So this is really kind of one of those specialists um, that uh, you need to kind of add to the team to be able to make sure that you don't screw this up. Now, not only climate data uh, as far as you know, the, the ground floor. Um, but it's really interesting how the climate differed from the, the ground floor to, say, 600 meters, which was kind of the, the general, the, that was the tall building they were talking about. It was a tall building, 600 meters, um, and it was dramatically, dramatically different. So these tall buildings, you know, you, you have things like ground effects, um, you know, you know, reflectivity. You have microclimates that exist, you know, down at that level, but you don't have that at the, you know, the penthouse. Um, you know, it's just it's it's more a little bit more consistent, but it doesn't necessarily it it doesn't have the same values. And there's a couple different couple different ways you can do this, and I'm not necessarily going to get into this on this episode, but they're, they're typically they talked again and again about this lapse rate, um, and the lapse rate was simply a, it was a temperature lapse rate, and basically what it did was this is kind of an elevation gradient, so they can kind of say okay if you're going to be at one temperature at ground level uh, and you go up a certain number of you know feet. Um, you're going to be at a different temperature, and it's kind of a, a linear relationship. Well, you, you got to be careful about that because there's a lot of different things that play into this, whether the, uh, you have the humidity, um, you know, the location of where you're at. Um, some of these actually had uh, temperature inversions, so you ended up at the ground level because usually you'd have this, this cooling effect as you go up into the atmosphere. Um, 
it was uh, not necessarily the case when you had situations where you had uh, a temperature inversion. Now, a temperature inversion is where you have a, um, you know, just... <clears throat> You have a, a, a warm pocket of air that's trapped below a, a colder pocket of air. Or a, no, switch that around. You have a cold pocket of air that's trapped by a warm pocket of air above it. So as you went up, in some cases, it actually got warmer. So generally speaking, when you take a look at these super tall buildings, it was important to... Uh, you know, when you did load calculations, usually you do load calculations and you're like, okay, I just picked the weather data for this particular building and I'm good. That doesn't happen with a super tall building. You basically have to slice and dice it a little bit, um, you know, you know, all the way up to 600 meters. 600 meters, they were saying it was about 140 stories. So what you'd basically have is that, you know, every maybe 10 stories, you'd have to have a, a different load calculation based on a different climate profile. Um, so it's not only temperature, uh, but wind effects, uh, you know, as you go higher up in the, uh, the building, um, you do have stronger, stronger winds. Now, it's interesting that they, they were analyzing some of these buildings that were you know, coastal regions, and a lot of them were, uh, you'd have a lot of, um, you know, traditional um, winds out of the northwest uh, in the northern atmosphere, or the northern hemisphere, um, but they'd also have these counter winds that would kind of be coming back to the ocean, you know, as, uh, you know, the day uh, cooled off, or the, you know, going from night to day. They'd have these other winds. That didn't exist up in the upper atmosphere. It was pretty much consistent, that northwest wind hitting that building in a, in a single direction. So it, that, was, that was interesting. They actually toyed with the idea of a natural ventilation. Could you naturally ventilate a building like this? Um, and one of the reasons I watched this, because it, it did have Peter Simmons, um, and he did do uh, this particular section, and he basically said no. Um, and then he went on to explain it, why that wasn't a good idea. Um, and it's, it's, it's very complicated um, because of, you know, you have stack pressures, you have wind pressures, um, and they can be, you know, 10 times stronger uh, than you would see on the ground uh, up in the upper elevations of the buildings. So it really was um, an interesting uh, dissection. One of the things that I found was just, you know, mildly interesting. He's talking about the 600 meters of building. He said that typically when you're, when you're dealing with a building like this, you have like the first 200 meters are offices. And then you have 200 meters of apartments. Now he's generalizing, of course, but I just found this interesting. And then the, th the third 200 meters would be like a hotel or some sort of high-end hotel, um, which was, you know, it, I never really thought about it. I know, I know when you look at the super tall buildings, you know that there is, um, you know, an interesting mix uh, because, you know, when you talk about, you know, the transportation um, systems that are in these buildings, they really get quite unique. Uh, just being able to transport people back and forth, up and down um, through these buildings. Uh, but it uh, that was that was that was really interesting how how you kind of um, segmented the building like that. Now there are some interesting kind of things. I, I talked about how it got cooler as you went up in the uh, in the building. Um, the atmosphere obviously got cooler. Um, that really does um, kind of save you 
on some of the cooling costs. Um, but uh, <laughs> that does actually, it's, it was an interesting effect because it does kind of keep cooling off. And when you don't have, you know, quite the same you know, the same temperature, you could end up with freezing conditions, even in locations like, you know, in the Middle East and Dubai or whatever. Um, and, you know, or say, uh, even Houston, uh, where they were holding the conference. So it was, it was one of those things where you had to, you know, even at the ground floors where you'd never even consider um, freezing conditions, uh, because they just don't happen. Way up at the top, you really do have to account for uh, in your design for these freezing conditions they do change like that so that was kind of one of the pluses is that you get some you know basically free cooling or recon celeste to cool and heat that uh, um, or at least uh, cool the upper spaces but you do end up paying more because of the fan energy and the pump energy um, because of the height um, the fan energy because the air is less dense um, so those are some of the things, the trade-offs that you did um, going from, you know, uh, a ground level to up high. Now, it, one of the other things that they mentioned that kind of really blew my mind is that it, if you had a building that was 600 meters, conceivably you could be in a different climate zone when you get to the upper floors. When you get to the top of the building, the top half of the building, or, or whatever, you'd end up actually switching climate zones. So you could be at, they were saying climate zone zero at, at the ground floor, and then by the time that you reached, you know, um, you know the hundredth floor, you'd end up being in climate zone one. Um, obviously, remember that the climate zones are determined by the heating and cooling, de you know, degree days. Um, so the number of hours that you're heating and cooling. So that's how uh, you can actually change the you know the climate zone um, by just by changing the elevation, even though you're in the same location, which is which is kind of you know again kind of interesting to me. So one of and then then you kind of get into the I, I guess they they dove into the idea of you know what you know where can we go from here? I mean as far as height. Um, and they said that pretty much 600 meters is is really the the uh, um, kind of the limit of uh, you know your average super tall building. Um, obviously, you could build higher. Uh, technically, you could do it, um, but at 600 meters, really, you uh, is it's really the the minimum required for normal function. Um, and it's it's really the realistic occupied limit, you know. I mean, you could get six fifty, you could get seven hundred um, meters. That was you know that was in the realm of possibility. But if you got any higher, um, you would end up in the zone. I mean, especially you know you'd end up in the zone where you'd really have to acclimatize your your body to that. So once you get got up there, you couldn't really you know go right to the ground floor. It would it would just be too much. Um, and uh, that was that's pretty much the problem. And unless you intended to live at that height for long periods of time, um, it's it's not really something that's that's doable. So that was one of the things that was very interesting um, to me. So one of the things they talked about, and so this is one of the questions: When do you really have to get into the nitty gritty here? Um, they they said about 300 meters and above. Um, this is when you really need to get the you know the climatic data, um, not only 
get the right climatic data for your particular location, but also uh, kind of you know take a look at it you know vertically with your uh, your building. So you'll need to look at the elevation as well as your location. 300 meters and below, that's going to be, uh, there's going to be a lot of effects from microclimates. You're going to have it probably adjacent buildings. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the things too. They, they said that, you know, when you take a look at some of the climate data, uh, it might be, uh, you know, valuable for a certain period of time. Say, say for instance, a, uh, a, uh, what do you have? An airport. So you get the climate data from the airport. Now the airport may have nothing around it. Um, and it's collecting climate data. And then all of a sudden they build up, you know, a city around it. All of a sudden that climate data for that particular airport isn't, isn't valid anymore. That, that old climate data, it just changes things with the, with the wind, with the microclimates, with, with a whole bunch of stuff, um, that you're going to really have to take a look at something different and you're going to have to look at that a little bit harder. Um, you know, so if something's really critical, uh, you might want to consider doing this. Um, they said that a uh, hundred meters and higher, um, you really get a lot of stack effect issues. So that's when you have a uh, tendency of you know blowing out windows and things like that, just because of the you know the stack effect and um, you know some of the pressures in the building. Now they they did say um, you know one of the things they're like, well, can you can computers solve everything? Um, in this particular case, especially when they talked about you know the stack effect and, and blowing out windows, and they said that wind loads, um, you know, at least in their opinion, wind loads are still best determined uh, in a wind tunnel. So you get a you know scale model, you actually you measure the the different heights and things like that, um, and you can't really use computational fluid dynamics. It just it just didn't work. Um, it's, I think it's either just too complicated, they didn't have enough horsepower, but in their opinion, the, the wind tunnel was still kind of a valid, um, uh, you know, or not, not a valid, but and critical component to building a tall, you know, a, a tall tower. So that was, that was some of the interesting things. You know, I mean, especially when you get into computational fluid dynamics, you, you take a look at using a wind tunnel. You look at, you know, hiring somebody just for the, the climate. Um, that's when you know you're in a really serious, really technical sort of, you know, building. Um, and you got a lot of, you know, brain horsepower around the table when you talk about, um, you know, the design and, and how you're going to approach building a building. All right, you know, that really isn't most of us, but, it, you know, it's it's fun to take the occasional stroll down, you know, what other people do uh, as far as, you know, talking about what HVAC generally looks like. I mean, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about systems. We didn't talk a lot about, you know, anything else, but the kind of the setup that you need for, does, you know, starting to design that system, Um it really is interesting how these different things play together. And, you know, so I just wanted to leave that kind of my, my summary, my little takeaway from that. Again, the, you know, the, what they went through um, was, you know, it was really, there was a lot of technical stuff. There was some good stuff in there. Um, but I just kind of wanted to give, you know, my two cents and my impression uh, and just talk a little bit about really tall buildings. Um, you know, whether they're tall, whether they're super tall, whether they're mega structures, you know, it's, it's one of those, you know, fun things that, uh, you know, we kind of, you know, 
always they're they're iconic uh, wherever they are in the build you know wherever they are built in the world um, and it's something that uh, I think we wonder about you know whether we you know replace you know uh, residential units or you know we work on just you know single story structures I, I think that it's it's it, it fascinates us so there again I hope this uh, was interesting to you uh, maybe a little bit helpful. Um, if you know somebody look, who's looking for more information about this topic or might enjoy this, um, consider passing this episode along. I'd really appreciate it. That's probably one of the best ways that uh, we get more listeners. Um, if you're not a subscriber, jump on over to HVAC360.com. Sign up for that newsletter. Uh, you know, that goes out every week. And, um, you know, have a lot of fun with that. And lastly, I would be greatly honored if you'd go and leave me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and also uh, subscribe to the uh, YouTube uh, version of this podcast. Um, that really helps, you know, get recognition for the podcast. And also on the YouTube side, it allows me eventually when I get enough subscribers to be able to do some other fun things for you guys. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of HVAC 360. I'm Matt Nelson, helping you be the best and the brightest in the field of HVAC. And as always, know what you build and share what you know. 